Okay, this is Gary Parrish again, CBSSports.com. Again, it's Friday, January 30th, and this is, of course, the Island College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace, which has launched a version of its platform called Squarespace 7, which has a completely redesigned interface, integrations with Getty Images and Google Apps, 15 new templates, and a feature called Cover Pages. If you want to try, go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code FUN at checkout to get 10% off. That's Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. I'm joined for this episode by Matt Norlander and Sam Bassini. And let's start with uh, the big news from yesterday. Mike Krzyzewski, four days after winning his 1,000th career game, one day after losing at Notre Dame, dismissed Rashid Suleiman from the Blue Devils basketball team. Suleiman uh, is the first player ever to be dismissed by Coach K. It's funny, like when this goes down yesterday, I start going, who was the last one? I couldn't think of anybody. The reason I couldn't think of anybody, it's never actually happened. So now Duke's now <laughs> down to, to eight scholarship players. Norlander, what do you make of this development? How much does it uh, lower the ceiling on what's possible for Duke? Hey, guys. Uh, I think this is fairly big news. I thought the same thing, GP. And, you know, mine briefly went to Andre Dawkins, who was not dismissed. He right. was basically just told, take a hike for a year, come back, improve your attitude. And, and he ended up doing that. So I was a little surprised. I mean, Krzyzewski is not an easy guy to play for. Most of his players love him and certainly appreciate him after the fact. I think he's similar to Bob Knight in that way. Um, but for this to be the first one, I mean, and that's like, that's saying something if you're Rashid Suleiman. Like, this guy has been at Duke for three decades, and you're the first one that finally gets the boot midseason. <laughs> right. Um, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, and, and just as a side note, you know, I was at um, – we haven't talked since I was at Krzyzewski's 1,000th uh, on Sunday. And, you know, Suleiman was uh, an, not an important player, but he is consistently – even though his minutes and production have dropped since his freshman year and basically his draft stock – has been tanked. I talked Disappeared. To few, yeah, yeah, and I talked to a few scouts earlier this season about that, um, and one of them wondered if Suleiman actually might have even transferred after this year, and this was back in November or so. Uh, but yeah, absolutely torpedoed. Like, ridiculous drop since uh, p- what people thought he would be after his freshman year. Um, that said, it seemed as though he had kind of adjusted to... What was expected of him, his attitude overall for most of the season, clearly that hasn't been the case, and Duke is, as Duke is wont to do, so good at keeping that behind closed doors. But on Sunday, I mean, he was fine in the locker room, uh, a lot of smiles with a lot of players. There wasn't, like, any sort of indication that most of the guys were having fun while Suleiman was, was sulking or anything like that. So clearly something happened after the Notre Dame game or on the flight home or, or, or perhaps the next morning, whether he did something right there and then or Krzyzewski found out. In terms of impact, I actually do think it has impact on Duke. I, I think it's hard to uh, specifically say losing Suleiman means Duke will win 31 total games instead of 33. I think that's you're getting into way too kind of dicey territory. I still think Duke is a top 10 team, but since Suleiman... Veteran player, really solid defensive guy, uh, especially out on the perimeter, which is, you know, Sam has noted on the podcast, that's a big weakness for that team. I, I, I do hesitate to say that Duke is capable um, in the broad scope of winning a title. And by that, I mean, you know, if you did one of those 10,000 simulations with Suleiman and without, I think that they would win a title a noticeably at a noticeably higher, more frequent rate than than without him. I think he does mean that much. Doesn't mean they can't win it. You know, if UConn is a seven seed last year can win a title, of course this Duke team can do that. But I don't consider this team 
uh, of top five quality anymore. And now that I've said that, watch them go out and beat Virginia. Right. <laughs> I know. Sam, um, I guess early December, mid-December, when we were having conversations, and not just us, but people in general uh, related to college basketball, about mm-hmm. you know who could be the biggest challenger to Duke, I mean to Kentucky, Duke was the most common answer. Uh, it, it, that was before we knew they had, um, or before it was shown definitively that they had issues guarding on the perimeter. It was obviously before they lose Rashid Suleiman. How much has that changed now? Are they still a legitimate title contender, or is that off the table? I think that anytime you have like Jaleel Okafor, Justice Winslow, Tyus Jones, right. like you can win a title. Right. Like we watched UConn win a title last year. You know what I mean? Like there's still a definite chance that they can go out, roll off six games, just playing through Okafor, getting some timely shooting from Quinn Cook, getting some defense from Justice Winslow. Um, But yeah, they're probably like uh, Matt said, they're probably more in that six to 10 range of title contenders now. Um, I, I don't even, I'm not a fan of Quinn Cook's play by any means. I thought that he was a net negative a lot of the times on the floor this year just because of his offensive decision making. He was out there looking for his own shot an awful lot whenever he was on the floor. But like Matt also alluded to, he is their really one of two perimeter defenders who they could count on to get a stop along with Matt Jones. Um, And Matt Jones is like playing something like I would guess 33% of their minutes. Like he's not a integral piece of their uh, pie here. So I I think it is a pretty discernible loss, if only for that reason. Um, I I just don't know how they're going to guard on the perimeter, even without him. I I think that like in the grand scheme of things, Grayson Allen will probably be an equal contributor to what Rashid Suleiman was giving them, but it'll just be in a different way. He'll be able to kind of slash to the rim. He'll be able to shoot a little bit like, but that defense is going to be a key here and it's still just going to continue to be tough for them to stop anyone. Yeah. I like everybody seems down on Duke right now. And I, I think some of that's just rooted in, this is what we do. Like we, we react to what we just saw recently and what we just saw recently was a, a loss at Notre Dame. And, and I don't, project them to win at Virginia. I don't think anybody would project them to win at Virginia unless you're just, you know, know, there's no real reason to think they're going to win at Virginia unless you just are into picking an upset and we'll see how it goes. But you'd have a hard time um, actually, you know, coming to some sort of intelligent conclusion that, oh yeah, Duke's going to win at Virginia this weekend. That said, it is a Duke team that's won at Wisconsin. It is a Duke team that's won at Louisville. And it is a Duke team. I don't know if people remember this. I know you guys do. Um, that was up double digits in the second half at Notre Dame. They just sort of fell apart. And Jaron Grant was awesome down the stretch. And Notre mm-hmm. Dame hit some shots. But, um, you know, in a in a parallel universe, we could be talking about a Duke team that is ranked fourth in the country and coming off a win at Notre Dame. And then they'd seriously be considered somebody to – you know, possibly win at Virginia and a Final Four favorite and all that stuff. So really, and this is just, this is sports in general. Like, it's why we talked about the Patriots were maybe done after they lose at Kansas City on a Monday night early in the season. And now you look up and they're in the Super Bowl. I think this is sports in general. But to me, uh, and I get Duke's flaws. Like, I've seen them up close. I've seen them correct them with that zone. But they, I know they still exist. But it is a little, I don't know. I, I think it's important to remember Basically, all the opinions 
in, about Duke right now are related to Duke coming off a, lo, a, a loss at Notre Dame, which means they're really related in like the last eight minutes of their most recent basketball game. If those eight minutes just go the way that they look like they were supposed to go at the eight minute mark, uh, we're talking about a, a, a red hot team on its way to uh, uh, to maybe upset Virginia. Is that is that crazy, Norlander? Uh, yes and no because. Through 32 minutes, St. John's was beating Duke, sure. and people felt like, you know, there was a lot of media there at the Garden, rightfully so. But we were all kind of looking at each other like, "What, the, what, what the hell are we going to write here? This is this is brutal. <laughs> Duke is lagging. They might lose this game by 10 points, um, and it's going to be weird. I mean, I guess we can write the Steve Lavin ain't done yet, but um, we are. If not for a, an inspired bit of play. Um, we could be looking at serious panic. Sure. No, that's I true. think this could go either way. Like, yep. Imagine if they dropped to St. John's yep. and then they dropped to Notre Dame after uh, essentially blowing that lead, losing Suleiman. They'd be riding a two-game losing streak going into Virginia. Um, and, you know, I expect Duke to lose. And when they lose, they're gonna their ACC regular season title hopes are done. So uh, may I call on my bad on that one. On three weeks ago, I said they'd win the conference. That's not going to happen. Yeah, this is actually but, their worst ACC start since 95-96, which, which is interesting on a couple of levels. A, um, they are bad in the league so far relative to, you know, what Duke normally is. Uh, B, uh, the worst a- – ACC record they've had through four, seven games in like 20 years is four, four and three. three. Like the, so it's like, <laughs> that's pretty remarkable too. That's pretty wild. Overall, I, 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 I was just, you know, I was surprised that it happened like this. Like this was definitely a, Oh my God. Like it just, you know, late afternoon news drop. No one broke it. The school announced it. And clearly, um, it was just, it was repeated behavior. Um, what it was, I don't know. Seth Davis tweeted that Suleiman had been kicked out of practice a couple times this year. I don't think that he's been a, he's been a problem forever. Like, and I don't even mean I don't. Yeah. I, it's hard to yeah. define exactly what a quote problem means. I mean, like clearly he wasn't out like committing domestic violence and like you know uh, robbing banks and you know criminal activity. But he has been on the uh, maybe let's let's substitute the word problem and and instead go with he's been on the wrong side of Mike Shashevsky seemingly for a while, and so. Uh, I, I do believe that this is one of those, if you'll forgive the cliche, sort of you know straw that broke the camel's back situations. Like it was a lot of stuff where finally they just go, you know what? Like you ain't good enough to deal with anymore. Like you know we have the number, we have the best player in the country. We have you know one of the best point guards in the country. You know uh, we're Duke. You're you're Rashid Suleiman. Like we're not deal- like we're not putting up with this shit from you. Like we. I had a coach one time tell me he caught a player in and this is a, a an extreme example of that but it sort of it 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 translates i think and this guy had just been a problem he wasn't again wasn't ac- good academic standing you know hadn't raped anybody just a just didn't just a problem and just like uh, disruptive and they called him into the office and they said hey listen you know like whatever but at the semester you're going to need to transfer and he was like what what why why i haven't really done anything he said here's the issue you're an asshole and 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 you average three points a game, and so like you're not you're not you're not better than your problems. If you were better than your problems, like if you were averaging 17 points and nine rebounds a game, we deal with you. But we're not dealing with you under these circumstances. You ain't good enough to make us to stress us out like like you're doing. And so you gotta go. And on some level, I believe that's what happened with Suleiman. Like 
Um, you're not the worst dude in the world, but you're too much trouble for somebody who ain't that yeah. good. So you got to go. Yeah, and the and the. Uh, I, I'm I'm intrigued by if he is ever going to be able to make an NBA roster. But now the the uh, the timing of this is Suleiman, in in my opinion, should not try and pursue a, a pro avenue here. But it is brutal for him in that he, if he transfers somewhere, he's going to have to sit next year. He is he has expired his his playing time, and he's not going to be able to. Uh, I don't think he'll be able to, you know, get a waiver not to have to sit a year. So it might be a good while before we ever hear from him. Is again. he a Where graduate transfer candidate? Yeah, I was going to ask that. Too. I don't know. That's the thing that's not entirely clear. Like he's in good academic standing, but I don't know if he's on pace to graduate by the end of the semester. If he is, you can get on pace quick. If somebody else wants you to get on pace, I know that's yeah. that's a Can't get on pace. In the hey, let, let, let's stop lying to each other. He's going to start at Iowa State next year. All right, yeah. <laughs> we we know how this is going. He'll he'll be living he'll be living in Ames by July. I assure you. Let, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. Sam, last night you were inside Poly Pavilion. Of course, the uh, last call for drunk bets wager was Utah minus five and a half, which means uh, Utah is going to go get the crap kicked out of them uh, at UCLA. This Utah team. Oh my God. Uh, okay, so uh, first off. I, 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 I'm so sick of last call for drunk bands. It's just, <laughs> it, it's just stressing me out. Beyond that, Utah had won nine. St- First off, they had not lost to a team that was unranked when they played them all year long. They San Diego State's not ranked anymore, so you could say they haven't lost to a currently ranked team since mid-November. And they had won. San Diego State's like 26th or something. Right. Okay. So they ain't lost to anybody like UCLA all year long. And then. Um, they had won their past nine games against unranked opponents, uh, all by double digits. And then, like last night, they didn't just lose. They were awful. Like, they were yeah. terrible from tip to buzzer. Like, what did you, what, was it just one of those games? What did you make of that? Oh, they totally sleptwalked. Right. Or sleepwalked. <laughs> Whatever. Slept, something like that. Through that game. Um, it was it was bad. It looked like they never really got off the bus until the final five minutes, um, until DeLon Wright took over. But... Uh, Norman Powell did a really, really good job on DeLon Wright throughout the first like 35 minutes of that game. And that offense just totally shut down without Wright being able to get consistent penetration, without him being able to either dump it off to Pirtle or drive and kick out to the bunch of shooters that they have because they're like, they're something in like in the top 10 of three point percentage this year and they take a bunch of threes. Um, so anytime that you can shut down DeLon Wright, that offense is going to going to the tank at one point UCLA held them scoreless for the final two minutes of the first half and then the first seven minutes of the second half like it it was just a problem they couldn't get anything going offensively and that's a credit to Norman Powell that's a credit to the help defense that did a really good job on right and it's also just a credit to Utah coming out sleepwalking a little bit and not being ready to play but UCLA is also a different team at home too they're like there's something like 10 and one at home this year mm-hmm. uh, with their only loss being to Gonzaga. Probably something I should have considered. Yeah. And then they're like something yeah, but terrible. GP, a lot of those games are like trash games. Oh yeah. I know. Right. Yeah. Listen, Utah was, Utah should have won that game. Utah's be- like, I think Utah's really good. I, I, I last night, I agree. last yeah. night didn't show that, but I think Utah's really good. I, I just, they just didn't show up. And in college basketball, um, almost regardless of who you are, you're going to have games like that. I mean, the, the great thing, and John Calipari actually touched on this last night after they won at Missouri. He said, the great thing for us is 
we can afford for guys just not to show up. It doesn't it, – it, and we can still win. Like if Willie Cauley – like whoever you think our best two players are, and that's certainly debatable at Kentucky. Is it Willie and Booker or is it uh, Towns and Ulysses or is it um, – yeah. you, know, you know, do you like one of the Harrisons? Like we could argue that forever. The point is you can take their best two players, shut them down, and Kentucky can still win probably every game it plays, if not every game that it plays. And that's just not the case for um, probably anybody else in the country. And so um, in yeah. college basketball, you're going to be like a team like Utah. If you don't show up, you will lose to a team like UCLA. Whereas, and, and this is sort of what makes Kentucky great, um, they they can afford for guys to not show up, to sleepwalk, as you put it, and and still get by. Almost Almost nobody else in the country can. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. It, it's not a, it's not something that like bodes problems for Utah in the future. I don't I think like it's, it's just a loss that happens throughout a season when you're 19 to 23 years old. That's going to happen. You know what? Like, it, it happens in the NBA too. You know, like it happens. It does. It, That's yeah. True. Like, um, what, what was it that, that two nights ago we see the Bulls like going to Golden State and win. And then what did they do last night? They lose. They're they lose. Yeah. They were awful. And they lose. Like it happens. Um, yeah. and certainly in basketball, it happens at, at all levels. And I, I, I'm with you. I think that's basically what happened last night. They just yeah, didn't. And honestly, to a lesser extent, it was like just Utah didn't make shots. Yeah. Like that, that just happens. Right. Right. <laughs> it's going to happen to you every once in a while. Right. Uh, Norlander. So, um, D'Angelo Russell balled out again last night, 18 points, 14 rebounds, six assists. I'm down with D'Angelo Russell. I have a mock draft posting at CBSSports.com. I think later today. And I have D'Angelo Russell, number two. And uh, I know DraftExpress.com. I actually um, finalized this like three days ago. So I'm, I swear to God, Jonathan Gavoni, if you're listening, I'm not just copying you. I actually, had, <laughs> I actually had Russell there before he had Russell there. I'm not trying to pretend I'm better at this than Gavoni. I'm absolutely not. But I had I decided like you know within the past week that I would put D'Angelo Russell number two. DraftExpress.com now has him number two. I know Sam has him in the top five. Uh, Norla- three, yeah. You have three. Norlander, where, what, what do you make on um, make of D'Angelo Russell's emergence? I mean, I sort of detailed this earlier in the week when he was the CBSSports.com national player. He was not a consensus top 15 recruit. Now, and, and I'm not one of those guys that, that brings that up to say, oh, the recruiting services are awful. At the top of the recruiting rankings, those guys, whether it's you know, Evan Daniels or um, whoever it is you like that does the job. Jerry Meyer. Def- definitely not Borzello. De- not Borzello. No, <laughs> Borzello's good. Like, the guys who – I don't want to, like, individually, uh, you know, go through the list of recruiting analysts. I'll just put it this way. The guys who really put work in, who, like, really get out and go see these kids and, and genuinely evaluate, they do a, a remarkably – good job of identifying the guys at the top. Now, we get into the 30s to the 90s. There, you know, you could change those up in any order. Those those players, there ain't much difference between them. Um, but at the top, you know, the top 20 dudes, I, I think th- we do a good job of 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 identifying who the best of the best are. And so, like Russell wasn't even a consensus top 15 guy. I think he was top 10 to 15 maybe at scout.com. He was slightly out of it in most other places. And now he looks like a first-team All-American and maybe, you know, the best NBA prospect in the country outside of Jalil Okafor. Norlanda, what, what do you make of, of this D'Angelo Russell story? It's, uh, it's pretty cool um, because Ohio State was brutal and impossible to watch last year. Um, <laughs> yes. And for, for bizarre reasons, partly because he, he was white, people hated Aaron Kraft and the whole notion of 
the way that he played. So I think Ohio he's a coach State, on the floor. People hate coaches on the floor. Yeah. So Ohio State became this polarizing team. It was just so strange. But now with Russell and Shannon Scott's been, you know, that's kind of the uh, the overlooked story. Shannon Scott's done a, a heck of a job complimenting Russell. Mm-hmm. And being an older guy that that can do that and kind of knows his role but still plays it well, um, I think that's actually add a lot to Ohio State, in my opinion, being a top 15-level kind of team this year. They've had some up and downs, but without Russell, I, I, I don't think we're talking about Ohio, Ohio State as a, as a surefire tournament team. With him, obviously, they're on the track to that. Um, I said last week he is becoming a must-watch player in college basketball. We only get a few of those per year. He keeps ascending. Um, we'll give credit to the Ohio State staff who told us in the offseason that this – they didn't say this was going to happen, but they said – They knew he was special. Angelo Russell is our best player, and it's not even close. And I knew of Russell um, and had seen him on the circuit uh, and expected him to have some impact. Uh, but it's now – it's now getting to a point where Russell, and I update the freshman watch every Tuesday, it's still Okafor at the one spot, but Russell is entering the conversation. It is getting there. Okafor is still fantastic. I would still have him atop the player of the year rankings as of today. That could change over the weekend. We'll see how he does at Virginia. But Russell is remarkable, um, both in how he plays the way Ohio State uses him, and he, I mean, he gets rebounds, he gets assists, he sees the floor well. He's not just, okay, let's ask him to shoot 18 times a game and score 23 points. That's not what he does. Um, an extremely efficient player, and yeah, uh, we're, I like how we're focusing on the pros of his game because invariably and inevitably, sure. um, whether it comes in the offseason or if it's in March and he has a dud, um, people will try and break down D'Angelo Russell, but uh, but I'm not about that action, boss. <laughs> yeah. Dude, he's a, he's so fun to watch and vital for Ohio State. With him, I mean, bottom line is this: with him, I think Ohio State can make a Final Four, and I think he means that much to them because without him, they'd be a bubble team. You know, he. Um, I think right now we're looking at, and this could change at any moment, but maybe like a four man National Player of the Year race, and it's. Okafor clearly, Kaminsky clearly, Jaron Grant, I think obviously, and then D'Angelo Russell is in there too. And then, you know, we could debate who the fifth, you know, first team All-American would be at this moment. But I think those four would probably have to be on everybody's ballot to the extent that everybody would have a ballot. He has just been awesome, Mm -hmm. uh, both statistically and just in terms of pure enjoyment to watch. Sam, you're an Ohio State grad. Um, Odin, Conley, Sullinger, they've had some high-level freshmen come through. How does uh, Russell compare to those guys? Oh, God. Um, I, I don't know that he's Odin necessarily sure. because, like, People Odin forget how awesome to... Odin was. Like, he... Like, yeah. People, like, look back at that at the revisionist history. Like, how could you take Odin over Durant? Every Almost everybody would take Odin over Durant. Everybody. Like, he... Greg Odin was awesome. Greg Odin played a national championship game against Florida and was better than Horford, Noah, all them dudes when he was 18 years old. He was awesome. His body just fell apart. Yeah, he, like, legitimately carried that team to a national title game. Like, I don't want to say by himself because he's still like Conley, but, like... That team was him, basically. And, who, no, and who's my guy who hit the three against Xavier? Who hit the three against Xavier? Uh, Ron Lewis, right? Yeah. Fun, oh, my, my, nice. My favorite thing at the final, the subsequent final four, um, we were at some Nike party, Adidas party, one of those types of parties. And um, if you know, for folks who don't remember, it was Xavier was up big, right? 
and yep. they, and then up three like the last five minutes or something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then then up. You know, it was the very it was the the often debated do you foul when you're up three situation. And somehow I'd ended up at a table with uh, with Bob Huggins, and Sean Miller comes walking into this party, and like from across the room, hugs you know because he's hugs. Looks at, sees Miller coming in, sees Sean coming in, who was, of course, for people who don't remember, he was the Xavier coach at the time. And, and Miller probably gets about, Sean gets like 10 feet away, and Hugs goes, why didn't you foul the MFR? And, <laughs> and it was just like, uh, because like that's a, that's a life-changing moment, man. I mean, that's yeah. like, you know, we talk about now, like, who's the best guys who have never been to a Final Four? Sean Miller might be the top of that list, and yet, you know, you just, uh, you know, you, you you foul up three. You you probably in you know you've been to a Final Four before, probably. And so, um, uh, well, anyway, actually, to wrap it back around to Ohio that State, that was like a second round game, though, wasn't it? It was. Oh, yeah, that was a Saturday. Just real. The, I watched that. Yeah. I lived in a house with five other dudes. It was a great time in my life. We had about fifteen people over. It was a Saturday afternoon game. I want to say it was a Sweet Sixteen game. I thought it was a Saturday. I first think weekend. it was a. Uh, I'm almost positive it had to be a Saturday afternoon. I know because it was daylight and we were watching in our living room with like 15 dudes and we were all going nuts at that game. This is something I can figure out. Give me one second. Um, Well, you say how that's, you say how that's, um, it was a second round game. Well, shit, that ruins my story. Um, what year was that? That was 07. Yeah, that was 07. And you say that's like a, um, uh, a life-changing kind of um, decision, I guess. And it is in a lot of ways yeah. um, because, you know, obviously Thad made the Final Four in 2012, but if he hadn't and, like, Miller and Xavier won that game, Thad would have been the guy that's the best coach not to make a Final Four until he finally, again, we talked about this, until he finally actually did it. But that was the one that he... Uh, that he broke through it. So they, they, yeah, they beat Xavier and they beat Central Connecticut. Then they beat Xavier in OT. Then they beat Tennessee by a point. And then that was the Joey Dorsey, Greg Oden, David versus Goliath uh, game. Remember that? Yeah. Where Joey, Joey Dorsey was talking crazy about, <laughs> about Greg Oden. Yeah. It, it, that was your was that your first year at CBS GP? That was yes, your last that, year. Yeah, then. because my last year on the Memphis beat was two thousand six, and so yes, my first year at CBS was uh, Billy Donovan's second national championship. That is true. There that you is go. true. Uh, Sam, real quick. Um, sure. Just again, real quick. What is the issue? If we are trying to say, okay, what's the issue with D'Angelo Russell as an NBA prospect? I am curious now that Matt brought it up. What would be the obvious issue? Um, I think it might just be like strength generally. Yeah, but you can um, solve that as you get older. Defense. And yeah, like honestly, that's it's all stuff that's fixable. There isn't like a discernible weakness where you can specifically point to him and say, hey, like he's not good at this. Like, his defense is not great, but like perimeter defending freshmen typically aren't. So that's not something that'll really get levied at him, I don't think. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where it's going to come from, to be honest. Like if he goes through a like cold shooting spell at the end of the year, which I don't see happening just right. because he's an incredible shooter. But I mean, you might start to hear, oh, he's a streaky shooter or something like that. But honestly, like he is one of the more complete offensive games that I've seen in a long time and he's six foot five with long arms. Right. So you can teach him 
like you can teach him how to at least become like a solid defender. You would think, you know, like, or at least like, that's what I think scouts and coaches will think. So I don't see where the weaknesses are going to come from. And can I go off on a tangent real quick here? Sure. Because the stupidity from what I'm hearing from like NBA people about Mm. them overreacting to Jaleel Okafor and like finding his weaknesses and just pointing to every little thing that he does is absolutely absurd. I've had people say that like they wouldn't take him over Towns, they wouldn't take him over Russell, they wouldn't take him over like so many people because he's not a good perimeter defender. He's like oh, <laughs> yeah, okay. I love I love that. Hey, when you are looking at a six it's ridiculous. When you're looking at a six eleven nineteen year old and and your complaint is that he doesn't guard well on the perimeter, like get well, a new get the, a new job. Well, here's the thing. Like I think it's a concern. Like the fact that he struggles to like defend the pick and, and pick roll, roll whenever he's defending the roll man he struggles to hedge out i think it's a concern i just don't think it's like a concern where you don't take him as like the best post big man that i think i've ever scouted well, <laughs> how, about, how about jay billis you know told me he's the best we've seen offensively in the past 10 to 20 years so like um... yeah like someone asked me if i think he was if okafor is a more like a better post player than cousins. I was like, yeah, definitely. Right. And his footwork is so much better. He's just like the way he uses his shoulders, the way he uses his hips to like throw people off balance. Cousins didn't have that. He, he was just pure strength. Like well, Okafor has yeah. that strength and he has the polish. Like it's just different watching him play. No, he's a different level dude. Like, yeah, we can, we can have an entire podcast dedicated to the NBA draft and we might do that, um, you know, after the season's over. Mm-hmm. And and we can debate two through sixty if you want to, uh, but we're not going to debate one. That is that is that's over yeah. with. I, over. Know it, I, I agree, GP, but it, it does get to a point where I, I feel like people need to produce content, produce opinions. Someone's going to say 100%. that Okafor shouldn't go on. It's going to happen. It's going to be ridiculous, but it will happen. It, just, did it happen with? It didn't happen with Anthony Davis, though. No, it didn't happen with Anthony Davis, and. Um, Obviously, folks were all over the place last year. But Davis was, I, I know, it was like the other day I was trying to think of like, who was the last consensus number one? It was like two years ago. It was Anthony it, Davis, right? Davis was like uh, just an at, like, whereas Okafor is a reliable, really enjoyable player to watch in the post. Like, Davis was a freak. I mean, yeah. he just was doing things that we hadn't seen college players do on both ends of the floor in forever. And, and so... And it was, you know, there was that combined with he used to be six three and a point guard, and look, you know, so there was a lot of that on top of Kentucky being so clearly dominant. I Dude, think I'll take it a step further. Forget he was doing things in college that we'd never seen before. He's doing things in the NBA at the age of twenty one yeah. that we've never <laughs> seen before. He right now has the highest PER in the history ever. of basketball ever <laughs> at twenty one. Like um, it, it'll. We're not there yet because I think people are still tied to LeBron and for obvious reasons. But we will get to a point very soon where it is widely regarded Anthony Davis is the best basketball player um, in the world. Remember, today's Ion College Basketball Podcast brought to you by Squarespace where you can easily create your own professional website or online portfolio. Squarespace is now redesigned with Squarespace 7 interface, including integration with Google Apps, partnership with Getty Images, 15 new templates and cover pages, and Squarespace has an amazing support team that works 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Every design 
automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website. So your content's going to look great on every device, every time. And if you want to start a free trial with no credit card required, uh, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code FUN to get 10% off to show your support for the Ion College Basketball Podcast. at Squarespace. Start here. Go anywhere. Let's do some news and notes presented by Squarespace. And I'll start with this one. UConn last night lost again. They're 11-8 and eight now. You ready for this? I'm going to ask you guys a question. You're both smart. Let's see if you can answer it. When's the last time a reigning... I spent 30 minutes looking this up last night. When's the last time a reigning national champion... Was eleven and eight through nineteen games. The subsequent season, ah, okay. Matt will be much better at this than I am because I think he knows all of the national no, I, champions. I, I don't. I mean, my instinct, and since you spent so much time, it can't be it. But the instinct is to say the Kentucky team that went to the NIT. Actually, no, they were thirteen and six through nineteen. Uh, we'll do. <laughs> I don't want to bore you. I'll give it to you. Ready? Yeah. I mean, I, I wonder when it's yeah. Louisville in 86-87. Yeah. Yeah. It has been almost 30 years since a reigning national champion has started this poorly. And so, like, as everybody last night, you know, I sort of decided I would just became intrigued. Like, okay, everybody knows UConn is off to a bad start, and UConn's in danger of not you know, uh, making the NCAA tournament. But, like, let's, let's actually look at it, um, you know, from a historical perspective. How rare is this? Um, as a follow-up year to a national championship, and it is remarkably rare. In, in fact, Louisville in 87 started 9-10 and 10 through 19 games. They won the 86 title, then they start 9-7. and 7, I mean, 9-10 and 10, uh, at the beginning of the 86-87 season. They finished 18-14, and 14, ultimately declined an invitation to the NIT. So this is the worst record... Um, through 19 games for a reigning national champ in, in 27 seasons. And it's the worst record by a pretty significant margin. Nobody else was close to having um, eight losses. Nobody else has had seven. How about that? I'll put it that way in the past. So, like, um, this is historically bad, what UConn's doing right now. Norlander, I know you've seen them up close a couple of times. What do you make of it? I, I have. Um, I, you know, they they lost to – I got some blowback expectedly um, – after they lost to Duke, guys, week before Christmas, um, they were four and four. And I wrote a column and I said, "Okay, with this loss, you know, they are they are in danger of not making the tournament." Um, you know, with the way the roster was constructed and not having Napier, I thought that was pretty um, pretty worrisome. In by the time we got to December, I, I had higher hopes. I picked them to win the league. Um, but I've thought basically since mid-December they were a 50-50 proposition to get there. Now I don't think they're going to get there. There's only been a handful of teams. I want to say UConn's on pace to be the fourth since the tournament went to 64 uh, to win a title and not make the tournament the next year. Um, you know, it's It's rare. It's Didn't, weird. Did Syracuse it's, do it after 03? Is that one of them? Great question. Florida's uh, one of them. After, Florida's uh, definitely Florida, one of them. It's Florida, Kentucky. It might just be Louisville, Florida, Kentucky. And if there's another, there's only one more, and then UConn would be the fifth. But I think UConn's the fourth. I did a story on this when Kentucky was not going to make it. Um, now, Syracuse years, made it. Two, yeah, it's, they, it, it, yeah I, I actually, I did a thing when Kentucky, because I looked it up. Um, I think UConn will be the fourth. If I'm wrong, someone can uh, fact check and at me on Twitter afterward. But You know they will. Regardless. 
Um, yeah, it, it's it's a uh, boat ride. I think is just playing consistently hurt, and he's doing all he can in his senior year. But it's something of a lost year for him. Um, who knows if he'll even you know he had hopes of being drafted. I don't think that'll happen now. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's not good for that league. Um, we'll see what Ollie can do next year. Uh, you win a title, you get plenty of. Um, time, you know, Dan Walken tweeted out something, and I kind of gave him a little bit of grief on it. He said, "If if UConn had not have won last year, which to me it's like, well, they won, so whatever. Um, that's a thing that happened. So why not harp on anything's otherwise?" But he said, "You know, just you know, if they had not won last year and were at this point this year, would Ali be on the hot seat?" And to me, I don't think he would whatsoever. He's Calhoun's guy; they love him there. It would have been a post Napier year anyway, and they were coming off of you know, a postseason ban due to APR sanctions or Calhoun. So I think even if this was happening, he'd have at least one more year of slack to try and get the job done. But he I think look- that's probably true. But I, I do think it's fair. Like, we all get caught up in the national championships and Final Four runs. And, you know, careers are made off of that stuff. And so, like, yeah. whatever. We can argue whether they should be, but they are. And so let's just whatever. But um, they were 12-6 and six in the American last year, tied for third in the league. They were just barely a borderline top 25 team all year long. Then they get hot, win a national championship. So we completely forget about that. But if let's just say they get bounced in the second round last year, which is what a 7C is supposed to do, okay? Well, they should have lost to St. Joe's. Okay, so let's just say they like, do what a 7 seed supposed to do, which is lose in the round of 32. Or like, let's, let's knock – round of 64, round of 32, it doesn't matter. What kind of pre- – would – Okay, Kevin Ollie was considered before this season started because of what happened in six games last year. Um, this amazing young rising coach, NBA offers all that stuff. You take, you just make them lose the way a seven seed's supposed to lose, and he's now he would be um, no better than third in his league in the first two seasons. He would have no uh, Sweet Sixteen appearances, and he would be on his way to an NIT in year three. He would be under a lot of pressure. I'm telling you, I live here. He would not. Uh, there might be pressure. There would not be calls for his job whatsoever. I just don't believe that at all. And like he did win the title, though. That's the thing. Like he won I know, but we're, we're pretending that didn't happen. We're, I we're, know, but <laughs> well, okay. you got to be able to pretend that didn't happen. Like, like, just, like right. if um, if uh, who else is under uh, uh, pressure right now? Steve Lavin. Well, like yeah, if Steve not, Lavin would have won a national championship last year, then he wouldn't be under pressure. Like we all get that. But I'm saying, I'm <laughs> okay, saying, fine. I'm just saying it's just a weird thing to uh, pontificate about. But I'm uh, fine. I'm bookmarking this the next time. I, I've, I've done these hypotheticals before in GP, and you've given me slack. So I'm remembering this for the next <laughs> time. <laughs> no, I'm not giving you slack. I'm just saying that it, it is Kevin Ollie's entire, A, reputation, and B, good standing with Connecticut fans rooted in a unpredictable run in a three-week three single elimination say, tournament. I get what you're saying. I would say to a large degree, yes, but he was – uh, a beloved player. He's Calhoun's guy. They they love him here. The the situation he took over the team with. I, I just don't believe that there would be um, a fifty pound weight hanging around his neck. I will say this. I'll tell you what would be going on right now. What they lose to St. Joe's last year, and they're off to this start. You know what people? You know who'd be trying to get that job? Jim Calhoun. Oh gosh, <laughs> I don't any, even want to get into that. Is there uh, any doubt he'd be trying I mean, to get the yeah, job okay, back? Certain, there's, okay, that'll that'll grant you. But what I will <laughs> say is this: I will say this. There is a possibility that fast forward ten years from now, Ollie's career at UConn lasts five seasons, and he'll he could be considered one of the all time flashes in the pan, like 
That dude won a national championship at UConn. How wild was that? I could definitely see that happening, where for the next three or four years, maybe UConn only makes one tournament, maybe two. He moves on, whether it's by firing or goes to an NBA front office or whatever it ends up being. I can see a situation where that does come to be, and he's one of the more random, like Jim Herrick at UCLA winning a national title. I got you. No, that makes sense to me, too. Mm -hmm. um, okay, big weekend on deck. Obviously, the top games, Duke at Virginia. We've already talked about that, though. Let's, um, Sam, Wichita State at Northern Iowa. Shockers haven't lost a league game since March 2013. Does it happen tomorrow? I do think it happens You don't believe tomorrow. in Fred VanVleet? <laughs> I, yeah, that, that's that's it. I, I don't believe in Fred VanVleet. I don't believe in Ron Baker. That That's just it. I don't you don't like it. to kill Cotton. I don't like to kill Cotton. Darius Carter's just not very good. Like, yeah, that, that's what's happening here. No, they, they no. like Wichita uh, State no. could be a legitimate top 15 team and still take a loss at UNI. And I, yeah, I, don't, I know it won't play that way, but that's the way it should play. Yeah, Northern Iowa is like legitimately a really, really good team. Right. They have one of the better unknown, unheralded players in the country in Seth Tuttle. Like, they can go in and beat. They beat them. They have one yeah. of the top 20 defenses in the country per Ken Palm. Um, their offense is really, really efficient, even though they're really, really slow. It's still effective. Um, th this is a top 20 team that they're playing and they have to go on the road to Cedar Falls. Like it's a very, very losable game. I think that they should not be. I think they held, will. Like there should yeah. be a problem. Yes. I yeah, think they, Wichita State will lose. Yes. How about this? I would say any team ranked around where Wichita State is ranked would lose at you would 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 probably lose at you and I this weekend. Yeah. Right? I agree. So like it, it says nothing to me it won't say anything about Wichita State. It'll just say yep. something about Northern Iowa really good playing at home. I want to wrap up with this. Um, Auburn is at Tennessee. It will not show up on your top twenty five scoreboards tomorrow because both teams are average at best. Auburn's really bad. Tennessee's average at best. Uh, still it is a um, it's a game that's gonna get a lot of attention because it is Bruce Pearl's return to Knoxville. How should he be treated there? On one hand, he did great things at Tennessee and the fans love him. On the other, he is at least among the reasons why they've endured all of the turmoil they've had to endure. In a in an alternate universe, he's still the coach at Tennessee and they haven't had to go, you know, through that awkward Conzo Martin period and then wouldn't have to be dealing with the Donnie Tindall mess at Southern Miss. What should the ovation be, Norlander? What should it be? Well, okay, let's, uh, let's take it step by step. What will it be? What should it be? It will be a rousing standing ovation that lasts probably the better part of 10 to 15 seconds. It probably should be uh, butts and seats and an appreciative clap because Pearl did a lot of good things for that university in getting the, I think it was six tournaments under, under his reign uh, and kind of the most consistent success that school has ever seen in college basketball on the men's side, obviously. Um, but... For fans, Bruce was the most approachable, embraceable, affable, likable coach they could ever kind of ask for and revitalize that program. And the crimes and allegations are nowhere near each other, but he is essentially the Bill Clinton to that program. Um, Clinton, you know, went through some kind of weird stuff, uh, ultimately kind of trivial, but everyone loves him. I mean, Bruce Pearl is kind of like that to Tennessee. It will be interesting. That will be – UVA-Duke will be the headline game, and then that will be the second biggest, I think, like when it'll, sports – It'll be a moment. It'll be a moment. It'll be it's a, a big moment. I mean, It's a 30-second moment. Yeah. Wisconsin-Iowa, Louisville-UNC is a fairly decent game. Texas-Baylor, these are all going to take second bill on Saturday to uh, what happens in Knoxville. And 
just as a side note on the game, I mean, I, Tennessee should win, and I think they'll win comfortably because this is a certainly a uh, a learning year for Pearl at Auburn. Um, but Donnie Tyndall has he, he, the only thing he's learning is he's done, got bad players. Dude, it, this is why they hired him. Sure. Okay, this team. I'm telling you, I talked to Donnie at the Peach Jam last year, and he just told me we're going to try our best, but there was not any sort of expectation they would be this good. It just wasn't because they the roster he knew that he had. So for Tennessee to actually even be at this point where it's barely respectable and not considered an automatic win in you know an average SEC, 12 and seven is remarkable, and it's going to make things really interesting whenever this NCAA stuff at Southern Miss comes out. Whatever the notice of allegations are, the timeline on that, how Tennessee finishes, the powers that be there are going to have um, not an easy choice to make because he has been way better than I think anyone expected him to be. And when he beats Pearl tomorrow, I think that also is going to go to helping his case. Yeah, he's um, he. It's it's weird. You could actually argue, and I think argue accurately that that Donnie might be doing a better job in his first year at Tennessee than Bruce is doing in his first year at Auburn. Now, uh, Bruce has got this heralded recruiting class getting ready to enroll, and he's going to get that thing going at a, at a really top 25 type level. I believe that, but uh, it'll just be in an interesting moment uh, this weekend at Thompson Bowling Arena. Bruce is still uh, beloved there. He actually lived there through his entire um, banishment, for lack of a better word, from college basketball while he was a, a television analyst and um, only moved to Auburn or moved out of Knoxville once he got the job at Auburn. So he's still got a lot of friends there, still has a lot of fans there. And um, that'll certainly be a, a, I don't know if it must see TV, but just certainly not the game. But at least that moment will be a neat moment to try to check in on. How, how does it go down when Bruce walks on the court? How does it go down um, when Bruce Pearl is introduced as the visiting coach. All right, well, I've kept Matt and Sam here long enough, kept you guys here long enough. Thank you uh, for listening. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. It's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest podcast. So make sure you do that. And either way, I'll talk to you again on uh, Monday. Take care.